Well, let me say Merry Christmas to each of you. We're so glad you're here. If you're, if you're here for the first time, um, we're glad that you chose to worship with us today. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of deep thinking this week, okay? Um, y'all, we do Christmas parties completely backwards. <laughs> like, we, we decorate, uh, we clean the house, we get all the lights put up, we make all these special dishes, um, we labor over all the good food, we clean it all up, vacuum up all the tinsels and the tree clippings uh, that always fall off, uh, make sure the pillows are straight, that our blankets are nightly, nicely folded, the, the kitchen is spotless, the bathroom uh, is fresh, and having everything looking immaculate right before our guests arrive with the candles lit, uh, the magical Christmas music playing, uh, Christmas presents wrapped under the tree uh, with the nice bows and ribbons and all the kids are in their best dress, forewarned to be on their best behavior, um, doing everything we can uh, to be a warm and welcoming host, hoping that our guests will have a memorable experience full of good food, good company, laughter, and good cheer uh, for them to then prance off into the moonlight um, after a, a very Merry Christmas party. And you know, our family, we love to host. Uh, we love having people in our home. Hospitality, it's Kelly's thing. She's great at it. She goes all out because she just enjoys people um, and she loves it. Uh, but it dawned on me this week, uh, we're doing it all wrong. <laughs> Uh, the way we do Christmas parties, I'm declaring today, is a false representation of the Christmas story. Okay, now, now yes, I get it. It's fun, it's good, uh, and the whole peace, joy, and, and hope themes are all part of the Christmas story. Uh, maybe we could say that uh, doing Christmas parties the way I described it is a representation of some of those themes. Um, it's part of the Christmas cheer. Uh, yeah, I get it. Don't throw rocks at me. <laughs> Um, but after some deep thought this week, I think we're doing it all wrong because if we wanted to truly represent Christmas the right way uh, with our Christmas parties, our guests would not come into an immaculate house. Uh, no, our guests would come into a complete and total mess. Like your guest would come in to a sink piled overflowing with dirty dishes, pots and pans, maybe even with mold growing on some of them. Uh, they would come into a house where the dog chewed up all the pillows with the pillow stuffing all over the house with one kid half dressed with green finger paint all over them, wiping it all over the walls with spaghetti on their face. It's also all over the floor while the other kids decided to use their imagination and create a garden inside of the house, dragging piles and uh, piles of dirt, uh, and then watered it with the hose inside the house, uh, not to mention all the Christmas decorations scattered all over the floor with lights completely tangled up. Uh, not a single one of them worked, of course, uh, mixed in with Legos and army men for everyone to step on, okay? Uh, and your guest would come in to your Christmas party, and you're sitting in the corner just crying your eyeballs out, uh, listening to Bing Crosby. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, Okay, uh, that's my, my, that, my friends, I believe is a better representation of the Christmas story. But you do know what your guests would do at this party. They would walk in. Your guests would then clean up your house, <laughs> help with your kids, decorate your Christmas tree, hang all your Christmas lights, cook an incredible meal, uh, light the cinnamon spice candles, and give you the time of your life with good company and laughter, and leave uh, with your house completely decorated and in perfect order. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm onto something here, uh, if anyone is looking for a Christmas party idea. Because that is a better picture of Christmas, uh, where God comes into a messy and chaotic order, a world, and restores it back to order, uh, filling it with peace and joy, which leads us to our main idea. God entered a messy world to restore it back to order. Yes, the story of Christmas is full of good news and good cheer. But there is, in fact, both uh, good news and bad news to Christmas. 
And in order to fully understand the remarkable joy found in Christmas, we we must understand it with the context of the bad news. And we shouldn't be shocked uh, by the bad news part, because this is innately understood by every human on the planet. You know, every time our family gets together at the dinner table, uh, we talk about the highs and lows of the day, uh, the good parts and the bad parts. We all do it, the entire family, including my four-year-old. Uh, something, sometimes they say things that are profound and sometimes not. Uh, but at the core of every human heart and soul, there is an understanding that something in the world is off. We see it with newborn babies coming into the world, crying in shock, needing to be warmed and, co- warmed and coddled. We see it in the heart of childhood uh, disappointment. We see it in the heart of unmet expectations and hardships and struggles with adults. Uh, there's not an adult in the world that doesn't know this and sense this. That there is bad news all around us. The entire news industry is built on this, and unhealthy coping industries are entirely driven by it. And yet... We also know at Christmas time, bringing good cheer with presents and gifts, it only lasts for a moment because the excitement of the gifts, they eventually wear off. Clothes get stained, cars break down, toys break, houses constantly need fixing, and relationships come with strife. Okay, and I'm not trying to be the Grinch or the Scrooge today. I'm just trying to bring to light uh, that the hope and good news of Christmas shines much brighter against the hardship and the bad news of Christmas. It shines much brighter against the backdrop of the reality of our world. And I think we can agree, we all see the bad news all around us. But what I hope to show you today is that the story of the Bible, the story of Christmas, falls in line with the story of our reality. And it should fuel us towards great hope and peace. Because y'all, God is up to something. God is moving among us today. God knows exactly what's going on in your life. God sees it all. He knows it all. All the bad news. He sees it. And I'm here to tell you today that he has not forgotten you. And maybe you're here today and you're at peace and you're fueled with excitement and joy and hope fueled by Jesus. And to that we can say, praise God. That is a small picture of God's grace. That's a picture of the beauty of Christmas in your life. And so that said, today we're going to spend the entire Bible Uh, And we're going to tell the entire Christmas story from start to finish, but we're going to do it using one verse uh, as our anchor. We've been going through the book of John the past few months, and John 1.14, I think, is the purpose of Christmas summed up in a single verse. Now, the book of John doesn't have the manger scene, uh, but it does have one of the single greatest verses for Christmas, I would say, in the Bible, and it's John 1.14. This is what it says, our anchor verse for today. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's our one verse. That's our anchor for today. The word, uh, that being God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as the only son from God the Father, and Jesus is full of grace and truth. You know, I love how the message version says it. It says, he came and he moved into the neighborhood. That's our verse for today. Jesus came to live among us. But the way we handle our time, it's going to be a little different than the way we normally do it. You know, typically we stay focused uh, in one passage and go through it line by line. But today we're using that one verse. And then we're going to zoom out, uh, kind of like dropping a pin down in Apple Maps uh, and then kind of zooming out to see the big picture, every, everything around it. And our pin drop uh, is John 1.14, seeing that God came down to earth as a human and came to live among us. And y'all, this is a remarkable concept, thinking that God, 
came to earth as a human, like this is an astounding truth. And maybe you're not too fascinated by it because maybe this is one of those things that uh, maybe we hear often. And it's easy for us to become, it's easy for it to become commonplace and normal. And I get it. I'm right there with you. It's easy for this idea to kind of lose its luster. But my hope today is for all of us to be reminded that the birth of Jesus, it is full of wonder and awe. And that it's not just some far off story or a fairy tale. No, it changes our very life. And it is incredibly hope filled. Not just so we feel better with our emotions, but it truly anchors us with full life. Even when life seems like it's a mess, kind of like when you're bought up in a corner crying with mud and paint all over the house, dishes piled up and Christmas decorations and lights all over the floor two minutes before your guests are about to walk in for the Christmas party that you invited them to. Uh, there's, no invite, there's, no, there's no hiding. it. It's a big old mess. But I'm here to say that hope is on the way. And so today we're going we're gonna to go back down memory lane. Uh, we're we're going to remember the mess. Remember the mess that Jesus came into and remember why God became flesh and why he came to dwell among us. Uh, the story of Christmas, uh, it doesn't start with the manger scene. No, the story of Christmas, it starts before the creation of the world. And so this is what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to tell the whole story of the Bible today with five different scenes uh, to keep us anchored. But I'm going to do it with that one verse, John 1.14, with the theme of that one verse showing how God came to live among us. And hopefully by the end of our time, through the drama of the Christmas story, the whole Christmas story, we'll see our main idea, how God entered into a messy world to restore it back to order. And hopefully in seeing all this, we'll quickly notice that this Christmas story is uh, full of, uh, this, the full drama of Scripture. It's not just some piece of historical literature but it's actually the story of each of our lives. It speaks to the heart of every human. This is my reality. This is your reality. Y'all, the Christmas story is deeply personal to each of our lives, which leads us to scene one of the drama. Number one, God, uh, lived, God first lived among us at creation. Uh, this is why God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, uh, they had a dream and a plan to create something incredible. They had each other in perfect harmony, but God knew there was a story to be told and there was a creation to create. And so in the beginning, as we see in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know what's fascinating about creation? God created every bit of it with the power of his word, by the mere power of his voice. God created the heavens and the earth with his word. God created the sun and the moon and the stars with his word. God created the land and the sea and all the animals with his voice. God spoke and it existed, seeing the very power of his voice shown on repeat at creation. And in all of it, he said it was good. Every bit of it was good. But then at the apex of his creation... He created humans. God created humanity, which started the very beginning of each of our stories. Because God created each person, including you and me, individually and uniquely different, with different DNA strands, with vastly different physical, mental, and emotional makeups. And he created each of us with the power of his word, each uniquely different, while also creating each of us fully image bearers of God. Each of us were, reflect, were made to reflect the beauty of God. And when God created humanity, the apex of his creation, he said it was very good. Because with humans, with his image bearers, there was love and connection and intimacy and worship. And with these people who would be his children, he would share in his joy and satisfaction. And he would share his peace in the full life that he had. This is the way in which he created each of us. 
to know God and have a deep connection with God. And when he created humanity in the beginning, humanity's relationship with God was good. Humanity's relationship with each other was good. Humanity's relationship with work and creation and culture, it was all good. Marriage was good. Work was good. Friendships were good. And loneliness and pain and tears and sadness, they did not exist because everything was good. Everything was like a beautiful symphony, in sync and in rhythm and in perfect harmony, in every part, perfectly complementing each other. And then all of a sudden, as we leave chapter 2 and enter into chapter 3 of Genesis, everything changed. The good beat and the good rhythm began to lose sync as they stepped into the dark, bad news of Genesis chapter 3. And in this bad news chapter of Genesis chapter 3, this is where we see God begin to weep. This is where the music stops and God's good creation begins to crack and unravel. This is the chapter of the Bible that we see reverberated out into the world that causes us today to also weep and mourn. This is the chapter where those good relationships went sour. This is the chapter where marriages cease strife. This is the chapter where work becomes toilsome and hard labor, labor and a struggle. This is the part of the drama that reminds each of us today that, number two, humanity lives apart from God because of the fall. Genesis chapter 3 is where everything went wrong and where even still today we are continually reminded of it again and again and again. There's not a day that goes by in each of our lives where Genesis chapter 3 doesn't tragically affect us. And it's not because of God, but it's because of God because God's people disobeyed. God gave them one thing. God gave them one thing to obey, just one simple thing. Don't eat the fruit. And what do they do? They ate the fruit. They were deceived by the serpent, Satan, and they disobeyed God and they ate the fruit. The serpent was crafty and subtle. He seemed innocent, but what did he do? He came in inciting doubt and unbelief in God's word. The serpent sought to crumble and crack the power of God's voice in their life. And subtly, moment by moment, dripping seeds of doubt and lies into their heart and mind slowly causing them to question God and slowly taking God out of the center of the story and ever so subtly enticing Adam and Eve to make their life not about God, but about themselves. And I think we can all agree that this isn't just an Adam and Eve problem. This is a worldwide, all of humanity problem that we see still today. And at the moment of their blatant disobedience, they weren't just out of sync with a few missed beats. All of a sudden, it was like a loud, noisy, clanging gong, a chaotic shambling of rhythm. And at, the very mo at that very moment in history, our need for a rescuer and a redeemer became ever so clear. At that moment, our need for Christmas was abundantly evident. Because what God made to be in perfect harmony and in perfect sync with our relationship with God and each other and work and culture, when sin entered the world, it rattled the rhythm, seeming as if the grand symphony was just over. Where God once gave order to the world, chaos and disorder because of sin, it began to grow and grow. And as we step out of Genesis chapter 3 and into Genesis chapter 4, we see the tears of God rapidly flowing. Because he knows that the very people that he created to have connection and love and relationship with, he no longer could because of sin. And from that time forward, humanity continued to operate and grow and function, but yet it was apart from the plan and purposes of God. Y'all, this is the bad news of Christmas. 
This is our world. This is our reality. But yet, in all of it, even in humanity's disobedience, by God's grace, God continued to pursue his people. And in various times and in various ways, God was slowly dripping the hope of Christmas, slowly reminding them, Christmas is coming. Hope is coming. And throughout this long, painful, dark cycle of separation from God, because of God's kindness and grace, God would show up onto the scene. And in miraculous ways, God would audibly speak to his people. And in variable ways, God would show himself to his people, even in the darkness of the world, slowly making promises to his people that he would come back and rescue them, that Christmas was coming. And throughout the Old Testament, We see God make promises and keep his promises, all the while revealing his character to his people. Because remember, God loves his people. And God created his people to have connection with him. And story after story, generation after generation, God continues to tell his people, hey, I'm still here. Like I haven't forgotten you. And hundreds and hundreds of years go by with a bunch of failed kings while sending a bunch of prophets that God would use and speak through to remind his people that he hasn't forgotten them and to turn the hearts of God's people back to God. And as the years go by, God's people became more and more sinful and more and more messy and disorderly, seeming as if the voice and power and the light of God was growing dimmer and dimmer. And many of God's promises still unfulfilled. Yet all the while, many of God's people seemed as if they didn't even care. Apathy and doubt and unbelief grew deeper and deeper into their hearts, and yet in their apathy, they saw and experienced the effects of being separated from God. They were in a state of desperation, but they were looking in the wrong places. Because they were crying out for help, but they forgot where their help came from, while some of them just simply lost focus. And maybe you today can relate with that. Maybe in a low point, or in a state of desperation, or confusion, or maybe like uh, what happens with so many of us, maybe you've just lost focus on where true hope is found. This is where we are in our story. In a place of desperation, in a place of confusion and darkness, realizing the cold effects of what happens when God does not live among his people. This is the point of the drama that seemed as if God had forgotten them. Thus cue the scene, balled up, in the fetal position, in the corner of your house, paint and mud and spaghetti sauce all over the walls and the furniture and carpet with broken Christmas decorations and twisted and tangled lights that don't work all over the floor with no food prepared and dishes overflowing piled up all over the kitchens uh, with, ki- with the kids in an uproar 30 seconds before your guests arrive. In a state of panic, desperation, and despair. But may we not forget God over and over again showed up on the scene and spoke, a prom- spoke promises to them and encouraged his people. And every time, God did exactly what he said. Because God makes promises and God keeps promises. And through the dark second scene of the drama of Christmas, God made a slew of promises that were yet to be fulfilled. God made a promise that he would send someone that he would send a rescuer, a redeemer, a Messiah. And maybe you, maybe you know some of these promises, maybe you don't. But God promised that he would send a rescuer through the line of Abraham and David. 
God promised this rescuer would be born of a virgin, that he would come as a child and as a son from the town of Bethlehem, and that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and and Prince of Peace, and that he would come in humility and with good news and washing away the guilt of sinners, and that he would be given glory and an everlasting dominion over all the nations of the earth, and that his kingdom would be established forever and ever. And throughout all the failed kings and throughout all the prophets, in spite of their sin and rebellion and doubt and unbelief and sleepless nights, God spoke and made promises to his people in the midst of their great hardship. And over the thousands of years of history, God spoke through the angels. God came to earth and spoke through a cloud, through fire. He came and revealed himself on top of the mountain through thunder and lightning. God revealed himself through parting the Red Sea, through the tabernacle and the temple. God spoke and revealed himself and revealed his presence on earth. And they all revealed his glory. And then, after 400 years of waiting... After 400 years of silence, hearing nothing, seeming as if God had forgotten them, God revealed himself through the apex of his creation. God revealed himself in his full glory through a baby, through a person in human flesh, which leads us to scene three of the drama of Christmas. Number three, God came to live among us through Jesus. God's people waited and waited, and waited, and then God showed up, and then in miraculous fashion, God entered the world as a baby. New City Church, Christmas reminds us of a lot of things, but may we not forget it's a reminder that waiting and patience is a normal, regular, and reoccurring part of God's plan and purpose. God's people waited and waited and waited, and their patience was likely painfully thin or maybe even non-existent. But yet in God's grace, after hundreds of years of waiting on a dark night in the middle of nowhere in a smelly manger, God entered the world as a person. God entered the world through the apex of his creation. God became a human and entered the world while upholding every single promise he ever made to his people throughout hundreds and hundreds of years of history and prophecy. And as our anchor verse reminds us, God became flesh and entered into the mess of a world to live among his people. God didn't run from the mess. No, he entered into the mess to redeem it and restore it and rescue his people in it. New City Church, the reason Christmas is such a massive celebration is not simply because it's Jesus' birthday, but because at Jesus' birth, God became a human and entered into the mess of the world. And again, this is not some far-off fairy tale. This is what God does even still today. God enters into our mess. Because when God makes promises, God keeps them. And God made a promise to rescue his people through his voice and through his word. And God kept his promise and entered into our world, showing us that God doesn't want to just live around us or near us at a safe distance from us. No, he came to live among us and he came to live in us. God didn't come in keeping his distance. No, he came in as a humble baby in a smelly manger, entering totally into the mess of the world to come in and dine and eat and speak and love and spend time with and live with the worst of the worst. Jesus came for the outcast and the marginalized. Jesus came for the messiest of the messiest. And I just imagine Jesus walking into your house at that Christmas party while you're balled up in the corner, 
crying in despair and disbelief. Jesus walks into the mess and he walks into the chaos and he beams with joy because he sees you. He, sees, he has compassion on you because he loves you and he says, I'm here. I've come to help. I have come to put your house back in order. I've come to clean up the mess. I've come to hang the beautiful lights. I've come to cook a meal for you. I've come to spend time with your kids. I've come, to, I've come with peace and joy and to wipe away your tears. And his only request for you is that you sit with him, that you adore him, that you worship him. Again, Jesus entered into a messy world to restore it back to order. And no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God wants to enter into your world and live within you and to restore it back to order. He wants to enter into your marriage and restore it back to order. He wants to enter into your relationships and restore it back to order. He wants to enter into your work and your school and your desire and your life plans and your emotions and your mental health and your finances and restore it back to order. That's what Jesus does. He enters into messes and he makes them masterpieces. But most importantly, before any of that can happen, Jesus wants us to first restore back to order our relationship with God himself. In New City Church, yes, God came through a miraculous birth where God entered into a messy world. But when God entered into the messy world, he was met with sorrow and pain and grief. And he lived and walked in the world without sin, but it was filled with the reality of its brokenness. And Jesus knew that his rescue mission wasn't over. Jesus knew that he was born in order to then die. Because in order to restore our relationship back with God and restore the messy world back to order, the penalty of sin needed to be paid because a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And Jesus knew that he would be the sacrifice that would be made that was needed to restore everything back to order. And so Jesus was born. He lived as the Son of God on earth. And then he went to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. He went to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin and the sin of the whole world so that God could restore our mess back into order. And you know what? He didn't do it begrudgingly. No, he did it filled with joy and love because he looked at the apex of his creation that were, were and still are in complete despair, balled up in the corner, crying, and he looked at you and me and the whole world, and Jesus knew that us being in God's presence, for us being with God and having our relationship back with him restored was worth it. Going to the cross was worth it. Because Jesus knew, as John 1.12 tells us, that all those who receive him and believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus entered the world as God's son, and his divine rescue plan was to be born, live, die, be raised from the dead, so that through us believing in Jesus, God then makes us his children and rescues us and restores us. When we put our faith in Jesus, God no longer looks at us as a mess. No, he looks at us as his masterpiece, as the apex of his creation, as his beloved children that he loves and longs to lavish his peace and harmony and love and joy. It's always, is it always easy? No. Do we often forget this? Yes. But is there full and abundant life found here? Yes, 100%. Absolutely and 100% yes. 
This is the good news of Christmas. But I do want to remind you, the drama of Scripture is not over. The drama of Christmas includes more. Because as I've alluded to, Jesus wasn't just with his people when he walked the earth, but he was also when he left the earth. He's still with us today in this room. Number four, God lives among us after the resurrection, which is for us right now in this room. God lives and dwells among us. Believing in Jesus is not only for salvation and eternal life, it's also for our everyday here and now life. God's word that created the world with power, it still has power today. Y'all, the hope of Christmas, that God is with us, is not just for the month of December, it's for every single day of your life. God didn't leave us when he left the earth. No, he's still with us today. He didn't come to only live in your neighborhood. No, he came to live in your hearts. We were designed to be in an intimate and a personal relationship with God and for us to allow God to help us uh, to help us to unwind what gets tangled up by the messiness of our lives in the world. But what I want to be really clear about this, I want to be really clear because I think this part is, is the most misunderstood and maybe the hardest for those who do follow Jesus. And I know this because I'm right there with you. And this is where I want to clarify that house party illustration. That illustration is not for what's outside of our life. It's not for our circumstances. God didn't come to the world to, to only clean up our physical house, our external circumstances. No, God came into the world to, clean, to first clean up our hearts. The house and party story, that's the story and that's the reality of our heart. God didn't come to earth and promise to make our circumstances in life better. No, he just promised that he will be with us in the middle of whatever circumstances come our way. God's promise to us is that he will be with us. And I want us to stop and think for a second about how God is with us today. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, it can be easy for us to say, yeah, God is with us, but yet not understand the full effects of it. Because yeah, I know, like we can understand God is with me. But why does my life seem to be falling apart? Yeah, God is with me, but why are my finances so strained? Yeah, God is with me, but why does life uh, seem uh, so hard? Y'all, these are the questions that people all around us are asking, and these are the questions that many of us are asking. And I saw a video put out this week, uh, put out by Google. Maybe you saw it. And I found it to be profound and very telling. Because the most used Google search over the past year was, how do I heal? Y'all, people are asking these questions. How do we heal? We're asking these questions. How do we heal? And we know as Christians that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. We know that God is our healer and that God is with us. And maybe we think, yeah, that's great. But yet still, how do we heal? I know these things, but I don't think I'm healing. And I want you to think about this with me because I wouldn't be surprised if this same thought or idea wondering how do we heal also came 2,000 years ago when God's rescuer was sent as a baby. It's like, wait a second, okay, how, how is this baby going to heal the world? How is this baby going to fix all the problems of the world? For many, the rescuer didn't come as they thought he would. But let's think about this, because although Jesus was a baby, God's full glory was revealed with Jesus as a baby. A baby who couldn't talk. 
a baby who couldn't do anything, a baby who was, maybe we could say from a human perspective, completely helpless. And so how is this baby going to help with all of the problems? Maybe, maybe thinking, this isn't what I was expecting. God, you promised to send a rescuer, a savior, and this baby is our savior? And yet, God, as a baby, was totally fulfilling his purpose while he was humanly helpless and couldn't talk and couldn't do anything as a baby. And maybe that's how you think of God today, as a helpless baby that doesn't seem to do anything for you. Maybe we wouldn't say those exact words, but yet functionally we often believe that because we want our external circumstances to be better. And helpless baby Jesus doesn't be seeming to help those things. But yet again, may we not miss that God as a baby was still fulfilling his purpose because God sending Jesus was never about making us better, making better what's outside of us, but rather making new what's inside of us. God didn't come to make our circumstances better. He came to heal our hearts. And even when Jesus was a baby, y'all, he changed the hearts of the people around him. And it wasn't by changing their circumstances, but because he was with them, because God was with them. And I think every parent that has had a baby knows this. You know, I'll never forget when I first was born, sitting there, uh, holding her, looking at her, adoring her, wondering what in the world was going on, processing it all, like I was just caught up in a whirlwind, but yet thinking, she just lays there. She sleeps, she eats, she cries, she goes to the bathroom. I mean, she's super cute. I love this baby a ton, but like, when did she start doing stuff? And I'll never forget, looking at Kelly, I was, I was holding her and I asked like, hey, what do I do with her? I didn't know. I just put like a little stuff ball next to her, like pretending to play catch, uh, bouncing it off her little head, you know. And I'll, I'll never forget when I asked her that, Kelly said nothing. You just hold her and you snuggle her. And while all this was happening, our baby, she couldn't do anything. And all I could do was hold her tight and snuggle her and gaze upon her and adore her. And while all of that was happening, that baby girl was completely changing my life. Because as many of us know, a baby, while they're not doing a whole lot, they're inevitably changing the heart of their parents. Because as we know, with having a baby, the parent's life can no longer be about themselves. Their life now evolves around that baby. And Jesus as the baby, was completely fulfilling for those around him what he came to do. He was changing their hearts. He wasn't making their life easier or better, but he was changing what was on the inside of them, leading them to worship. And so to answer the question, how does God heal us? Y'all, it's not about making what's outside of us better. It's by getting at the root of the problem. It's by getting at what's inside of us. And God changes us and heals us, not by changing our circumstances, but by giving us a new heart and a renewed mind. God heals us by redirecting our hearts and minds back to God, by holding him close and gazing upon him and simply appreciating that God is with us. You know, our flesh naturally wants this to be a different way. But the way God heals us is by reminding us that our hope is not in the things of this world, but our hope is in that God who is with us. God heals us by simply regularly and repeatedly for by us gazing upon him. And because 
That's the way God created us to live. God heals us by helping us to live according to his purpose. God created us to know him and be with him, to worship him and find joy and connection in him. And it's simply by regularly and repeatedly, daily adoring and gazing upon God where healing is found. New City Church, our way to hope and healing, uh, this is our way to hope and healing. The world's way to hope and healing is found in Jesus by trusting in the power of his word, by trusting in the promises of God, by being in awe of him. That is, that he is simply with us. God is not some far off fairy tale. No, he is real and he is with us today. Y'all, we need to be reminded daily through his word that God has not forgotten us, that God is with us and that God keeps his promises and that God is enough. And through these regular and repeated ongoing reminders of looking to God's glory and being in all of our created, God heals us. And you know what? One of the greatest parts of the Christmas drama is that it reminds us, as we talked about, our future hope. May we not forget that one day in the future from now, God will fully and forever heal and restore the entire world fully and completely. Leading us to our last scene of the Christmas drama to end our time when number five, God will fully live among his people forever. Yes, right now our world is still broken. Our circumstances sometimes aren't great, but God has promised us that he will return again in the flesh. And the next time he comes, he won't only turn the hearts of his people back to him, restoring our hearts and souls, but the next time he comes, he will restore the whole world, including our surrounding circumstances. In Jesus' final rule and reign, when the government will totally be on his shoulders, God will live among us in fullness and the entire world will be made new and all, the cha- and all the challenges of the world, they will be gone forever. When we think of how God comes to live among us with his birth, may we also be reminded of how he will, how he will come again and live among us forever and ever and ever, where all pain and sorrow and sadness will be gone and healing will be fully and finally realized. New City Church, we have a great reason to rejoice and celebrate this Christmas. And let me assure you, it's not because of Hallmark Christmas movies, beautifully wrapped presents, and peppermint mochas, okay? It's because God is with us and is in the process of restoring our messy world back to order. New City Church, let's rejoice this Christmas. Let's pray. God, you live among us. You live in us. God, you help us. You are healing us. God, you've called us to be with you. God, you're calling us into salvation. You're calling us to find full life. And so, Father, as we we celebrate and as we reflect on the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, may we, may we be reminded of how, you, how we were created to live with you. That you came down to enter into the mess of our world and you have a longing and a desire to restore it all back to order. Father, we need you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.